Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Good morning. Welcome to this edition of my Winning Pitch Podcast. Today, I have a super special guest, Jesslyn Pearson, and she's going to tell you her whole life story, what motivated her to become the successful person she is, and that our intent is to motivate you. So, Jesslyn, it's all yours. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate being brought on to your podcast here, and I welcome you up to share my story. So, I grew up on a farm in northern Alberta. I'm from Canada. And it was a lot of work. Farms are farms are hard work, uh, especially I have sisters, so there was no strong masculine arms. So when you're, you know, you're feeding all those animals and you're picking the rocks out of the fields and you learn a lot of hard work ethic. And I give full credit to my parents in that respect of my work ethic for having us do so much there. I mean, not like it was a choice, but and then as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to what we call the big city here in Alberta because I was not a farm girl. I just couldn't wait to get off that farm. So I moved here. I mean, it was a little nervy because when you come from a farm on a small town of a thousand people, you just don't know what a city of a million can do and what it's like. But it was a whirlwind and it was amazing. And then I put myself through university and got myself a degree in business because I just, I did waitressing at first and I just felt this is not a career for me. This I'm not going to be a lifer in waitressing. So I got a degree in business and then got into marketing. So I was working in marketing and helping small businesses run their businesses for upwards of six years when I thought, I don't love marketing. I love what marketing does, but it just wasn't feeling something, something in my life. So then I went on and pursued project management. Okay. So the, what I saw the shift between the two is that marketing is very creative, very colorful, very emotional, whereas project management is very straightforward, very logical, very stark and finished. So I got into that and I enjoyed that for several years as well. <laughs> but found that too wasn't filling something. Um, now I was in IT, which to me is a little dry. It's a little dry. And I say that lightly because my husband is an IT guy. What do you mean just a little dry? <laughs> it's the driest subject in the world. The only time I get in, the only time I get emotional about IT is when it doesn't work. <clears throat> I will say, I will say. And people ask me all the time when they hear the project management IT, they're like, oh, you can fix this. I'm like, no. I worked with people. They did all the IT work. <laughs> so I did that for several years. And then just, you know, while I was in IT project management, I joined a very large real estate network. And you've probably heard, you know, through Richard Dolan, he was the president at the time. And that's where I met Richie. And we were in real estate investing. My husband and I were been investors since 2009. And we were just plugging along. It was a guessing game. You know, it looked good. We bought it. We learned our lessons and we kept going. And then 
we found this network where we learned there's actually a structure and a process and a model to being successful in real estate. And it was... Was that Richie's group that gave you that model? Absolutely. And it went, Tom, I had a goal of one every two years to buy a new property. And I was on track. And then my husband was like, enough, like, because he has to do all the property management. That's not not my style. And he was just like, I have enough because he worked full time. I work full time. And we both have, uh, obviously we have boys. Uh, they're now five and seven, but you know, we go a few years back, they're babies and they're, they're high demand needy. So that's when he's like, okay, enough. And that's when I'd researched and found the real estate network that Richie was in. And I sent him, I was like, okay, you should go check this out. And it was like a switch. There's just, I mean, you know, Richie, he's got, he's just got a way with explaining things. And we went from having Brian in that group first, six months, we bought three houses in under 12 months. How many do you have now? Now we have six properties, but that equates to, I know some people might not know what real estate, it equates to 10 doors. And we sold two properties in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead and continue your story. No, no, keep asking. I appreciate it. So, over in, towards the end of 2019, as Rich introduced to some new people, Brian and I met with a mentor, a coach who helped us really figure out us. Like, okay, like what, why is it, you know, for the longest time in my career, Tom, I was chasing the money. And I always thought like, oh, I didn't like marketing. Or, oh, I didn't like business. And oh, I didn't like project management. Oh, I didn't like IT. Is this, if I make more money, if I make more money, if I make more money, I'll be happy. And then I did. I made crazy money and it was not happy. It was burnout. It was stress. It was no real satisfaction in what I was doing. So that's- Why do you think that is? I think it's because I was doing the job for the money and not for a passion. I didn't love being a project manager in the sense of what I was doing. Like I was in a lot of private and public sectors. And at that time I was working for a police force, which it's a very unique- place to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved it. I love working with the sworns and the non-sworns, but there's a style there and there's a style you conform to. Great learning experience, but not a place for someone who likes to be a little more free. <laughs> Stand completely because I'm an ex-cop. Perfect. I didn't know that. There you Most, go. I don't talk about it very often because it didn't last very long. I really didn't like it. Okay. so you- I was an LA County Sheriff in the 60s when all the rioting and everything was going on. Oh, okay. I didn't have to deal with any of that. I was grateful. I was on the inside, like in the offices. But well, your definition of a riot and mine might be different just in terms of volume, because I was in LA. Yeah, volume and nationality, because Canadians are a little bit politer. <laughs> We're less aggressive. How's that? <laughs> well, I was going to say peaceful, but so it worked out. So yeah. anyway, so you're looking at, you're going after all these goals and you discover that when you chase the money that you eventually come to a point that you're dissatisfied with it. Yeah. So what's the shift you made? What I made is finding out my why, my purpose. Your why, perfect. Yep. And at first I didn't understand it. It felt right. So I knew it was my why. And like mine is that all lives are lit up and I'm like, great. I don't really know what that means. Right. And then in the fall of 2019, we were blessed with kind of a private lunch with a small subset of investors with Richie. And uh, over that lunch is where he kind of introduced Grant Cardone. Okay. And to me, it was like, no idea who the guy was. So first thing I did when I flew home uh, was research, research in and out like what this was. Is this something we wanted to be involved with? And I did that. I was like, yeah, 
I'm all in. And so then my husband and I, we partnered with Richie, right? And he had the partnership with Grant, but as you probably recall, we were kind of his fulfillment team. We were in the background helping bring licenses on. And that was where I met you guys, yes. with your husband, right? Yeah. Okay, yes. perfect. Yes. And then from there, my eye never went back. As October 2019 was the last time I ever had to do an office job. I was committed no longer to a boss, to a location, to an office. And as of April 30th, 2020, my husband was the same. It was his last working day in an office. And now we run our own companies. We work, we're partnered with Richie. We're building a legacy, which I'm sure you've heard of. We're investors in several different startups and companies, not just real estate, but startups and companies. And we're loving it. And why? It's not just the freedom. It's we are now helping people. We're helping people become either better in their business or where they want to go. And it's just, it feels right. It's almost like that. You reach that point of like, okay, I got, I got, I got, I took, I'm ready to give, right? I'm ready to give back. And that to me feels good. When someone comes to me and says, thank you. I am now doing, I started my own business. This is the name. This is what I'm doing. I was like, and that's just over, you know, a coffee. That's not even like me coaching anyone. That was just me happily saying, hey, have you thought of this? And now with the whole 10X movement that we obviously really learned to appreciate in 2020, I've elevated. And now I elevate others to be like, that's great. But how do you 10X that? How do you make that bigger? And I just, through 2020, another thing I really honed in on for myself, um, and I know I had some great conversations with your wife about it, was working with women. And that is definitely my passion to at some point really work more closely with women. I want to have an impact to help change them because a lot of things I went through, Tom, in my career, women don't have to. And I would love to not only support them, but in my time and the fields I was in, there weren't a lot of women. I still don't feel there are a lot of women in high positions or in driving businesses or even in real estate when we were in if we were in that group with Richie, like dominant male in the room, dominant. Okay. And and that's partly when I recognize it. And Richie has said this too, but the number one questions we had, Tom, my husband and I was, how do you get your spouse on board? And I went, you know what? There's a market there. I would say you'd be lucky if there's 10% in that room of several hundred people had a spouse on board and, and I get it. I, I get why I understand it, but I was like, okay, there's some way I can help support and educate women because I think more women would invest if they were comfortable and confident in what it was, what it meant, what the language was without feeling overwhelmed or maybe pressured by a significant other and trying to understand it. So um, walk me through that. Sure. Pitch it, the, cause this audience is 7 billion. That's who this is going to be available to. So walk me through it. Pitch me. Pitch the all of the women on planet Earth. Yeah, absolutely. So for ladies who are not involved in the investment side and their husbands are, or those who have thought about it, but they're not invested, even their husbands, I remember the time not understanding the lingo. Now, obviously, I'm a proud real estate investor, but investment as a whole, its own little kind of game, I guess. But when people start saying things like you need to do a goldmine school card and you need to know what the ROI is and you need to know the landlord act. And I'm going, 
who firstly has time to learn all this, right? Who's going to teach me this? And what does it mean? So it's intimidating when you don't understand. So when that happens, most people are like, I don't got time. I got a day job. I've got kids. I've got a house to maintain, right? Or they have it where I've talked to many men and I, and I do feel bad because they, they come to me and they say, you know, I love what I do. I love the wealth I'm building for my family, but I can't really talk to my wife about it. She's not interested. She's not on board. And so I like to dig in to be like, why? And I don't always get answers per se. And I, and maybe they don't know, but if I had to guess, Tom, I think a lot of it is they don't understand the world and they don't want to look dumb in front of their spouse or whomever they're around. So it's easier to avoid than it is to ask the tough questions. Yeah. Right. So I would love to help spouses get on the same page because when you do, and I'm not saying it was easy for us. I mean, we definitely had a lot, a huge learning curve, but when you do, and you have the goals together in your business, in your, your investments, in your wealth, it just explodes. It's just an amazing feeling. And you can see how you guys align. You can understand each other and their goals. And then you're now working towards the same goal right now. I'm sure like women, they're grateful if their husbands are investing, you know, and they're making good money and they have this, but being grateful and being on board with your partner aren't always the same. Correct. I agree with that. Yeah. So that's kind of where my real first passion to help women came with out of the real estate world. And then it just progressed as I'm working with Richie and, you know, his, his idea on money, wealth and worth it's huge. It's huge for women too, especially if you take it to the extreme side of worth, right? Because women struggle with that. I'd say a lot more from what I've seen than men in their career. Why do you think that is? I mean, there's a couple things there, Tom. Obviously, history has shown that men usually get the upper hand in terms of when it comes to, um, if I look at raises and promotions in the men's world I was in, I knew I was making a lot less for doing the same job. I knew I factually was able to talk to some people and what, what can you do? It's a fight. That's not even, it's a hard fight. It's a hard fight, Tom. So did it make you angry or did it motivate you? It made me angry at first, really angry and really upset because I was working. I was one of their top people in, in, in the area, but, but knowing I was paid about 20% less. So yeah, I got angry. And then my husband, who's a lot more patient than I, <laughs> does the, so what are you going to do about it, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's valid. And at first, I didn't know what to do about it. So when I took the next project, because I was always in, in kind of contracting, I made a bold move, a bold for me to say, they, they wanted to renew my contract after six months. I said, okay, here's my terms. Here's what I want. And it wasn't a negotiable. I was willing to walk. I had to prepare myself to be willing to walk. And that was one of the hardest things I've had to do was walk into my boss, who was a male, very dominant type male guy and tell him, and it scared the crap out of him because he didn't know how to respond to me. And I didn't know that till afterwards when I called him out, I'm like, why would you say things like that? He goes, I didn't know what to say. No one's ever approached me that way. And I'm like, male or female, no one's ever approached him that way. You know, I think both, but definitely I don't think he expected female, Okay. but you know what they did Tom? They renewed me at the rate I asked. Of course. Producer is a producer is a producer. And that just made my self-worth go, yeah. oh, I can do this. And so 
it made me that much more confident to step out on my own as well, to go have an impact and help women. Because there were women on my team who heard that. And they literally, when they were in a a private boardroom with me, they're like, thank you, Jess. Like you paved a way that many of us want to go and we're just too scared to. And I'm like, I felt honored. But on the other hand, it wasn't easy, ladies. (laughs) It wasn't easy. I was stressed out for days trying to figure out the conversation and what I was going to do. Um, So now that I've been through, not just that, I mean, I've been through, I did deal with workplace harassment for 18 months. That was interesting. It was stressful and it was nothing I'd ever wish upon anyone, but I know. I have to say that I've never heard anybody characterize it as interesting. Well, you know, Tom, I'm a pretty strong personality and I'm a driving force when it comes to what I do in work. So what I did is I kind of ignored it. I kind of was like, no, you know, they're not really harassing me, right? It's, and it just kept pushing through. And then it just obstacle after obstacle to a point where I was like, so stressed. I lost weight. I lost so much of my hair. It was crazy. I was going to my doctor saying like, what's going on dog? Like, you know, and he's like, have you considered it stress? I'm like, (laughs) so I had to really think about what was that. And then I had to write it down. And then I had to take it to HR. I had to, it was either that or literally quit. And I'm like, I'm not a quitter. And I'm not the only one who's going through this, right? So if I don't take a stand, who's going to? So I did. And very hard, very hard. How did it work out for you? So in terms of pride, I'm proud I did it. And I learned a lot from it. It didn't change the relationship with the person, right? That person was just set in their way. They were going to do what they were going to do. And it just so happened mid- what they call, I think it's like, I don't know, resolution or like when they're trying to work it through with a mediator or something. Um, I ended up taking on another contract because my contract was ending uh, in the end of December of that year. And I chose to go elsewhere. Um, not, not necessarily just because of that, but I also wanted to grow where I was going and increase my pay. So I almost, it didn't, I guess, in some ways get resolved, but I'm okay with that. I mean, I took the steps I could. I've moved past it. I stood, I took a stance for other people to hopefully step up in that organization and comment or ask for help when that's happening. Even so, I'm I'm glad I did it. It was an experience for sure. (laughs) So if you'd have brought me that problem while it was going on, I would have told you this very simple advice. When you have a problem that is persisting, there's only two ways to handle it. One of them is handle it. And the other one is disconnect. And what you did was you went through the handling cycle and you disconnected. So I'm going to tell you, you have my permission to understand that you did the right thing twice. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do. And and, and to, to put it forth, I'm, I, I'm a communicator in terms of like, if you're doing something wrong, I believe in telling you first. So I did try. I tried several times to have that conversation. And, you know, you get to a point where you just stop. Well, it, it's like any other relationship, marriage included. Handle it. Or disconnect. If it persists and it's a problem, you're part of the problem as long as you stay connected to it. You agree with that part of it? I agree. So you either exert enough influence over that problem that the other person who's making this problem for you stops making that problem or you go away from it. Because if, if you stay stuck to it, it will eventually drag you down because it'll kill your confidence. Absolutely. And it did until I took a stance. I agree. Okay. So I acknowledge you for doing that. You did a great thing. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> and I guarantee you it wasn't easy. Nope, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. So 
couple of questions that the listeners are going to want me to ask you. What prepared you to be the successful person that you are when you were in, say, junior high school or high school? I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, when I reflect back, I became a leader of one of the groups in high school and I ran that. And, and at the time I just thought like, oh, this looks like fun. Let's give it a try. Right. Mm-hmm. But looking So back, that's the way I feel about business. Right. <laughs> it's like fun. Let's give it a try. Yeah. And then when I look back, I went, wow, I had a huge following considering all the other years where others were leading it. I went, okay, that says something. And in that same year, the supervisor who was overseeing that, she nominated me to go to a youth leadership camp and it got approved and it got all paid for. And so I shipped out to another small town and did a week of youth leadership. But so firstly, she saw something in me to push me forward. So I'm very grateful she did that. But it also showed me that there's other things in life. When you're in a small town, it's small. <laughs> All right. So now, now you brought it up so many times, I got to ask, what was the population? Oh, gosh. I think when I was there, it was 1,100, including the surrounding farms. <laughs> okay. That, most people would say that's pretty small. That's small. <laughs> like my graduating class, people laugh when I say there was 40 of us, right? Not like 100 or 400. <laughs> Completely so, got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was small. So that was, I guess, my very first lesson in like, this is leadership. You've got to make it go. And yeah, from there, I just kind of bounced once I graduated into university and started actually a lot of volunteer work. And again, almost instantly when I was in the volunteer positions, I was shifted into a director or a VP role. They too saw something, even though I was still quite young and trying to figure out life, they saw something because they put me again in a role where I had teams. So when you were young, and I'll talk about five to seven, yeah, and you were thinking about your future, I'm presuming that you did this because I did it all the time. Did you see yourself in charge of something? You know, when I was that young, no, <laughs> I don't really remember that young, but maybe when I was a little older, yeah. So what, when, how old were you when you first started to have those thoughts about being in charge of something? Well, when I was really young and, you know, they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? For the longest time, I wanted to be a lawyer. And now it didn't necessarily mean I was in charge of a business, but I was in charge. I had a lot of responsibility and I, I was going to rule that world I was in, right? I later learned how much work it is and, and decided to pass. But <laughs> for years, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I think it was because I just saw how in control they were, how they, they took charge of the situation. They helped clients, hopefully, and you knew they made good money. So that both parts, right? You're in charge and you made good money. Yep. So the question I have for you, is there such a thing as bad money? As what? Bad money. Oh, I suppose if it's illegal, but otherwise, I mean, there's an abundance out there. I mean, this was a good lesson for me to learn, Tom, coming from a, you know, a poor farm is I had that poverty mentality, what they call it. For years, like I saved everything, <laughs> you know, like I was. So you may, you may want to describe what the poverty mentality is because you and I live in the same world and we use that. But remember, we're talking to 7 billion people. So <laughs> explain to them your perception of what poverty mentality and what good or what bad it creates for you. Absolutely. Thank you. So it's like a scarcity mentality, like in terms of money, there's never enough. You have to always save. You have to work really hard and make sure you're putting it away and you have to pay down your house and you have to like everything because there's never enough. And, and you know, when, it, when you grow up on a farm where you have to raise our food, we grew our food. My parents 
or hunter. That was the world I knew. And it was like, okay, every summer you were digging that dirt. So you had food for the fall and, and the winter to get you through. And, you know, you're raising those, feeding those wonderful chickens and pigs. <laughs> and, you know, so what was the product of your farm? It was self-sufficient. So it wasn't like we didn't necessarily go sell like animals. It was to sustain us year by year. And then of course our fields, cause we were on a quarter section, which is uh, 160 acres, I believe okay. uh, that it was the grain, right? Grain to then feed our animals. Yeah. So while you're working on the farm, you're creating future survival for yourself mm-hmm. because you're feeding your family. Yep. Okay. That was where I was going. I just wanted to know. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were creating a product, a commercial product to sell to someone else. No, no, no. My dad worked a hard worker, but not a high paying job, right? He was in maintenance and he maintained a lot of schools and colleges and stuff. So again, hard work, but not a lot of money to support a family of five. So that mentality, what I grew up with is what I took. And so like through university, you know, you save, 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 you get an education, you get, you know, you, you get into a good job, you save, 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 eventually you have enough to buy a house or a condo and you're like, pay down that mortgage, right? Pay off your student loans. And there was never enough. And I was always like, there's never enough money. There's never enough money. And this is how I, okay, I just gotta make more. I gotta make more. I gotta make more. And then, like I said, I got to a point where I was, I was making a lot. And my husband was like, and my husband comes from what many would probably understand as middle-class. So doesn't quite have the maybe appreciation of, I guess, the lower class that I came from. So he's like, when's it going to be enough? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know what enough is, right? And then- Having maybe, never experienced enough, I have exactly. no idea. And that's I, got kind of, a, I got a concept, but I don't know what enough is. I'm and that's what I kind of said. I was like, I don't, I don't think there is enough. Like, you can just always make more, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that wasn't where he was trying to get me at. It was more the, the mentality. He's like, Jess- you could be sitting on millions of dollars and it's not going to be enough for you. And I'm like, maybe. (laughs) So what? Let's go make some more. Exactly. And it wasn't about him wanting us to make more or not. It was about me realizing that I didn't have to live in that scarcity, that poverty. It was okay if I went out and bought, you know, a higher price item in the grocery store, or if I wanted to put money into self-development. And then, so it kind of, it was a combination of, you know, Richie Grant, the 10X movement that went, there's an, it's not poverty out there. There's money everywhere. And when you can make that shift in your mind, we saw it. And we stopped with the, that, that save, save poverty. And we now spend, but spend in a way to help us. Like now we both have, you know, a virtual assistant to help us because we just told the work, right? Whereas before we did it all, you know, when we were both working full time and raising our kids and trying to run a business, we hired a house cleaner to help us, you know, but before it was like, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. And now it's like, no, we can make more doing what we do best and let others do what they do best and pay them for it. I have those same conversations with Julie a lot. (laughs) She came from a, a similar background. She grew up in the country and lived on acreage and that kind of stuff. And the biggest difficulty I always had with her is, why are you making the beds and washing the clothes? Why don't we just hire somebody to do it? Because people will do that for so little money and it buys your time back. And yeah. I, then as it grew in the company and now she's the executive director, 
the whole argument that I use with her is you're worth too much money. If you're billing yourself to the clients, you bill it 300 bucks an hour. If you can pay somebody 50 bucks an hour to do something, look at the exchange, look at the profit that you make on that by hiring someone else. And now you have more time at work and you're in a little bit less overwhelmed. And it probably took, I, I hate to work. We have a contest at work called the shitty word list. All those qu- <laughs> Fires you put before words, probably, maybe, sort of, kind of, all the things that means you're not committed to it. Yep. So I want to say it was exactly three years ago that she finally started doing that. Now the struggle I have with her is getting the housekeeper to come in twice a week, getting the housekeeper to do the laundry. And she, you'll love this. I think you'll love this. I'll tell you my story with, with Julie. I said, why don't you st- have her start doing the laundry. I don't want anybody to wash my clothes. I said, what, what's the reason for that? Well, what if she ruins them? You go out and buy new ones. <laughs> and it was like, Julie is a professional shopper. I mean, when she's on her phone, she's not on an Instagram. She's always at White House Black Market or some store that she really likes the, the clothes that are out. And I haven't made that sale yet, but I'm starting to use that kind of logic with her. So what? It's just clothes that are going to eventually wear out at some point. So you speed up that process and you replace it with new ones. You know, it's my sales process, but I will also admit that I haven't met closer on that deal yet, but you know, I I know that I will. So it's just, you know, it's the way that I go. And again, I've interrupted you by interjecting things about me. So is there anything else along that line that you were going that you want to communicate? No, no, I appreciate the story. And I think it just goes to show the audience that it's not easy to do that mind shift, right? You could sit there and show the numbers and it's still not easy to do the mind shift. I totally agree with that. I grew up in a a family of eight kids and we as a group never had hardly anything. Uh, My dad was a self-employed contractor. So his income went like this, his contracting business always does. And, you know, there was lots of other issues in there, but it took me a while, probably, well, probably, I keep saying that word. Within the last 10 years, I figured out that most of the lessons that I learned from my parents were wrong. The things that they always said to do or the things that I watched them doing, the reason why they never got out of the situation economically that they're in was because they were dealing with programming in their computers that was faulty. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, that's what I think it's hard to overcome. You, you cling to these ideas because they came to you from a authoritative source that were, were, was godlike to you at some point. So you accepted them, them that, those lessons along that line, but it was wrong or faulty or you never looked at the result, which you can look at and see clearly didn't give you what you what you should be getting or having or controlling. So Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> All right. So if you had the opportunity to go back in your lifetime and deliver to them to you as a younger person a lesson, what would that lesson be and how far back in your lifetime would you go? Oh, that's a great question. I told you I was going to make you think. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I think I would have one for sure would be the money mindset. Like if I could have known back then, obviously to this day, I don't know if I could have shifted my parents' mindset because they're still in the the poverty mindset. But I think I could have made different steps in my career. I don't regret it because all that saving I did is what allowed me 
to invest in the real estate, right? But just not being so, because the stress that comes along with that mentality as well, not having money. That's probably one of the big ones. So you told me what you would say. Who, how old would you be talking to yourself? Probably nine or 10. Okay. Yeah. So how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 relative to risk? Risk is um, the 10 would be, I'm always risking things and one I'll risk anything. Ooh, I'd probably be up around a seven or eight. What would it take to make it a 10? I guess it depends on the risk. <laughs> but say it was like, you know, the investment, more confidence in what I'm, you know, make what I'm doing. I guess I like some, I still like some assurity there that it's not going to just like bankrupt me. <laughs> I guess that's a lesson learned too, but it's not something I really want to learn. Um, and then the other thing would be if it's kind of more like risk in terms of, what I'm doing or presenting or how I'm, I'm getting out there more practice and confidence. Like, you know, some may say confidence is borrowed. That's a good one. Richie, Richie likes it. And I don't disagree, but it doesn't mean it's easy to, to even borrow it, to, to step off that ledge to do what you really want to do. And you know, you can do, but you're right now, you're only cheerleader. <laughs> All right. What do you have in your life that you wouldn't risk? I wouldn't risk anything that would bring any harm to my kids, anything to my children. Obviously, they're the love of my life. I love those little guys. And there's a love there that I, I didn't know existed until I had kids. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Having several of my own, I understand completely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would not risk anything that would harm my children. Now, that doesn't mean, and I mean, everyone has different perspectives, but I don't mean like I wouldn't just go try a new business or go buy a new piece of real estate or, or move you know, for a new company or a new perspective or a new learning, I would put my kids in those types of situations, but it's more the pure harm itself. Okay. So the thing that I remember, I went, first of all, I will tell you that I went to 17 different schools before I got out of high school. Oh, my dad was not in the service. He was a project manager for a construction company. So we were constantly being moved. And because I was raised Catholic, we'd go into a new town and they'd try to get me in the Catholic school. And I want to say it was probably 100% of the time they didn't have any room for me. So they put me in a public school. And then they constantly went back to the private school and tried to get me in and eventually got me in. So generally, I went to at least two different schools every year. And every time my dad moved, you know, but you want to know something that was normal to me and I like it. So when I hear people that don't want to move someplace because they're worried about their children, that's to me, that's the dumbest thing in the world just for somebody to say. And I apologize in advance to all the people that obsess. But the lessons that I learned from that, I learned to be social. I learned to reach out. I learned to make friends really quickly. I learned that friends weren't around forever and that you better be ready to make some new friends. So that was the positive stuff that I got out of that. The negative stuff, I became a very glib student. I learned how to get good grades and not know or learn anything. You know, there are times that I bragged about that, and then there are times that I realized that's not necessarily a lesson that you want to teach to anybody because I never connected. The things that I had some resistance and in learning in school I didn't connect how I was going to use that in the future. I knew that I was going to be running some kind of a business. So if you wanted to teach me French, I'm, I'm not going to French and I don't need French. If you wanted to teach me how to diagram a sentence and all the structure, 
I don't want that. I'm not interested in exploring. Now, what's really interesting is that I've made my living from communicating and writing. So I was right and I was wrong. So, you know, sometimes you realize that when you get to be, I'm in my 70s, I'm 72, I'll be 73 in March, that I'm still living a life based on some decisions that I made when I was eight. And would you turn control of your life over to you at eight? No. Hell no. (laughs) I was having enough trouble turning control over my life over to who my parents when I was eight. So there's always a good and bad side, I guess, to everything. It's like the COVID. Yeah. What what did COVID, what did I get out of COVID? I realized that whenever there's suppression in the area or a threat in the environment, to push against it instead of withdrawing. The only reason to withdraw is just to kind of regather your forces or step back a little bit because you're tired of your arms being cut off in the fan blade. And maybe it's good to get out of that much danger, but, and then come back against it hard, push against it, you know? And the other thing I learned is that every threat that I've ever had in my environment, I survived it. So in my mind, the fears that I had about things were always made up stuff that never came true. And I mean, never, you know, (laughs) the things that most of the things that I've been afraid of in this lifetime are just fears. You know, I've always survived it up to now. And, you know, I'm I'm sure at some point in the future, there'll be some fear that becomes more real and it eventually takes me out. But, you know, I'm one of the people that subscribes to the philosophy that I'll be back. So that's why I spend so much time and effort training me as an individual. And I'll take that forward into time with me, that personal training that I've got. So anyway, that's that's kind of a deviation of what we're doing. This is your podcast. (laughs) Okay. I appreciate learning it, Tom. (laughs) Okay. So what would you like to communicate to the whole world, male or female, adult or children, that you feel is missing in their life? You know what? Yes. For all, as you mentioned, age doesn't matter. Own your worth. So many people don't. And know you have value. Good saying. Give me an example. So there, my for myself, there were times where I didn't think I had the value. I knew I had the knowledge or the ability, but I didn't think I was capable in others' eyes or that company or that. And so I either didn't step up into the role, so lost an opportunity, or I just didn't even talk to someone just afraid that like, like, who am I or what do I have to offer? Right. And then later you found out, <laughs> really? <laughs> done that and more, do you know what I mean? Like, and you're just, so yeah, own it and know your worth. Cause people will see that they will, they'll see your, when you stand behind what you believe your worth and what you have, people can see it and how you carry yourself, how you, how you stand, how you talk. Right. And a lot of people just don't believe they have enough to offer. And they do. Yep. As a being, as a spiritual being, your power is really infinite. And when you get in trouble, now I'm preaching for you, <laughs> is when you fail to recognize that you think of yourself as something small. Grant talks about it as I've never thought big enough. I never thought. And even at his level of success, which I'd love to be at, yep. he always has as a guiding motivator this bulldog biting at him and you've got so much more to give. You've got so much more to give. You've got so much more to give. And you know that, I mean, if you're, if you're watching the undercover billionaire, you know, I would really recommend it to everybody because you see that he walks the walk 
If you watch it, you see him actually in what uh, probably the most scariest situation. Have a hundred bucks, go into a town, and your challenge is you have to create a business worth a million dollars, and you have to do that in 90 days. And even though you see him at his low points and his emotional points, he never loses faith in himself to be able to do that. And I watch him do things that anybody could do it. You just have to decide to do it and recognize your own strengths and abilities and that everybody has so much more to give. And here I am preaching the Grant Cardone life, but you know, he's been an absolute wonderful mentor to me and everyone in my company. Are you familiar with Brandon Dawson? Yes. Okay. I'm connected with his group too. And it's incredible that a guy who's created so much wealth in his life would like what Grant has, and he's showing other people how to do it. And he comes into the conversation with altitude. I've done it. You know, this isn't coming from a guy who woke up one day in his mom's basement and decided that he's going to teach you how to make millions of dollars. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there on the internet like that. And I'm yeah. not calling anybody specifically out. I'm just telling you that you can tell when you're listening to them story or listening to them talk, or if you get a chance to have a conversation with them directly, whether they're full of it or not. And, you know, Grant to me is the first human being that I've known that I absolutely trusted from right from the get-go. I just he's the way he communicates and what he has to say, I'm always going, I knew that. I knew that. The difference is he's in action and he's always doing it. Yes. And and he's living an example of what he's trying to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then because of that, I've met Richie Dolan, who you and I are connected to. And you know, I love Richie. He's completely different. He's completely different than Brandon, even though I I have no idea about their, Richie never talks about money, even though he always talks about money, he never talks about (laughs) his money. So I don't know where to put him on the, you know, the net worth game, I guess. So that part of him, I don't know, but I trust him. I like the way he communicates and Richie and I have become very, very, very close friends and we're still connected. So. Yeah, I know he's mentioned you a few times in a few of our calls. <laughs> no, I, I think, I know I've never worked with Brandon, but I just watch his demeanor and he just seems so, so sincere, right? And yeah. that's not, you. like you said, you see that. If someone, like if someone can be sincere and just, you got to learn from them. And I think Brad preaches it, I imagine all three of those guys, Grant, uh, Dawson and, and Richie, I'll preach it. But like, if someone's giving you advice, make sure they've done it first before you listen to them. And if you're going to have a mentor, which I recommend, I mean, I think mentors are amazing. Find one that's gone where you want to go. Absolutely. It's like my youngest daughter, all during high school, all of her girlfriends would come to her for advice and in general about relationships. (laughs) And to this day, she's never had a relationship with a guy that lasted longer than four or five weeks. And I always, why would you do that? How did, because she projects herself with such certainty. And when you ask her a question, there's no calm lag. She goes right to it. And, you know, I have my own philosophy about where that confidence comes from, but we don't need to discuss that here. You know, it's just what, what Jessalyn is saying is that make sure that the person, the individual who's guiding you has done and can do what they're guiding you on. Otherwise, they're just, as I would say, they're just talking out their ass, just <laughs> making stuff up. And unfortunately, a lot of those people make a lot of money coaching people. And it's kind of like the advice you got from your parents when you were a kid. It's not based on anything. It's based on a, 
on a whim or, you know, and anyway, unless I don't want to go off on criticizing other people and what they do. I admire them for their intuitiveness. I admire them for their ability to make money. I admire them for their ability to create a business, but I'm warning their clients, make <laughs> sure that the person that who's mentoring you has actually done what you want to do. Agreed. So we are coming at, at the end of, uh, we're almost up to an hour here. Is there anything that else that you would like to communicate to the whole world? Is there anything, I know I've kind of asked you this question in a different format in the past. Anything else that you feel like is, you, you still have this stage for a few more minutes? <laughs> Again, it follows some of the same lines, but when you're asking me, you know, on my risk level, what is it and what would take it higher? Take risks. I mean, I am grateful. That is one thing I kind of always did. <laughs> But I watch a lot of people who just won't take any risks. Like they won't, they won't even leave a job they've been at for 20 years or 10 years that they hate. And I'm like, what? and I try, I'd be like, really? You want to retire here and waste, you know, those who go to a pension, for example, they got seven years left. I'm like, that's seven long years <laughs> if you don't like where you're at. Um, and they just too scared to take the risk or to move. Well, this is what I know. This is what my family is. I'm like, oh, but look at the world you don't know. <laughs> like there's so many amazing things out there. So yeah, I would strongly suggest taking, even if there's small risks, you know what? Keep your day job, but start something part-time that you might love. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't have to move, you know, out of your country, but maybe move to a new city because that also puts pressure on you to grow, right? You got to figure yeah. out what you're doing, where you're going. And it just helps you start to just develop that growth mindset too, right? Like, oh, this wasn't so bad. Oh, I did make friends here. This boss is so much better. Do you know what I mean? But if you can just get that over that hump. So do you provide uh, personal coaching for people on, on these kinds of subjects? So I, so I work with Richie, right? I'm part of his, his coaching team on we do it's mine richie's a lot even though you say you know it's funny how you say you like he talks about money 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 but he doesn't talk about money from his personal like you don't know his maybe his net worth or, or that but he talks about money but when you look into it deeper it's mindset so what he says can apply to everything in your life you know one of his big things in one of his key programs is values what are your values and he this is part, partly where I got it from because I took one of his, I think it was a two-day intensive money clinic or something. Uh, that's where I learned my, my, my poverty mentality. And it was like really, you know, poking the bear. And it's like, okay, like, you know, a lot of off the cuff people are like, well, I value my family and I value my kids and I value my marriage. And I, but when you sit down and think about it, there are things underlying that you value more, but you're too scared to admit. <laughs> Maybe you value money, but you don't want to say it because you feel like you look like, Maybe you value fame, but you don't want to say it because that's pompous. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just so much your little extra mind tells you, but when you can appreciate and own what you truly value, it's not saying you don't value all the rest, but what are your top values, your top three, your top five. And when you own that and you start aligning what you want to do in life, things come together, your marriage, your relationship with your family and your kids, your job or your business, they just start to come together because you've admitted to yourself. And that's the first step, right? Is owning what you're afraid of. And I've been through that. And that's a pretty close to 
analogy to what I've been through, like thinking I valued this, but really this is where I kept putting my effort. And, and that's why, because I actually valued this more. Yeah. Right. And that's when I, when I started admitting it and owning it, when I just, a huge shift, a huge shift it over a huge shift, sorry, happened over probably the last 18 months. And that's when I kind of went, it's okay if I value money or if I value working or if I value helping people, it doesn't mean I don't love my children or my kids, right? But if I get to, to put my energy into what I value, everyone else benefits. Absolutely. So I'm going to go back to the question that I asked. Do you want people to contact you for any kind of personal, whether it's to become part of the legacy group, create some kind of a connection to you? That would be great. I'd love to have them join the legacy family. Now, if that's directly to me, it makes it easy because I'm part of the company, right? So I have. So how do they contact you? So they can contact me at jesslyn at jesslynpearson.com. Probably should spell that. (laughs) Okay. It's J-E-S-S-I-L-Y-N at J-E-S-S-I-L-Y-N-P-E-R-S-S-O-N.com. And uh, from there, I'm happy to open up the conversation about what we're doing in Legacy. Like, I, I think you're familiar with the Rich You, the whole new direction Richie's taking, which is amazing. And there's so much value in that. Or if they're looking for something else, there's other coaching that we provide. Well said. Well said. You've been trained well. <laughs> I have Go a ahead. good mentor. <laughs> Say that again. I have a good mentor. I can tell you do. I can tell you do. So... That is the end of today's podcast, the Winning Pitch Podcast. I hope that you've been inspired as much as I have and got to know this young lady, and I will call her a young lady whether she lets me or not because I'm a lot older than her. And, you know, Jesslyn, you've you're been a pleasure to be around. I'm glad that I've got to know you better. And uh, if you can do me one thing, continue to nudge Julie to increase the amount of people that she hires in her home and tell her to stop doing it because she's too valuable. All right. Okay. Thank you, Tom. It was an honor being on here. All right. Thank you. So that is it for today. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success, and I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. The number 10, then X L E N. Z.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.